Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. We're back after a brief hiatus last week. There was some things going on in everybody's lives that we just weren't able to make the podcast happen but we're back and we've got plenty to get stuck into so without further ado i'm going to get stuck into that with the usual guests that is juco james and alan morrison guys how are you how you doing all right good to be, good to be back hanging in there <laughs> yeah <fussed>. look <laughs> yeah we were supposed to start at five but we thought since we made everyone wait an extra week for the podcast we just make them wait a tiny bit more <laughs> Maybe six minutes past five, so we're we're doing quite well in terms of our punctuation this week. Um, you had a chance. You had got... a chance to uh, throw me under the bus again there, uh, and you didn't do it. I'm, I'm a bit surprised. <laughs> what did I do this time? <laughs> well, you could have you could have been honest and said it's my fault that we're late. <laughs> no, I you wouldn't take that. that chance. Yeah. I wouldn't do that. Um, are you good enough for this podcast? That's the main question, Alan. Are you good uh, enough? Well, it's a matter of opinion. So let the data yeah. speak for itself. look we've got plenty to get uh, stuck into we had three games since we last recorded a podcast two games since we last reported a a podcast i'm not really sure but the main one that we're going to be focusing on this evening is the 5-1 win against the mirren i guess uh, the first observation for here for this game is that 5-1 is probably a flattering scoreline for celtic in the end it definitely didn't seem like a 5-1 game to me uh, a lot of the goals coming in the second half, loads of them coming from our substitutes, O'Reilly and Atate, getting two of them. Um, o getting his first goal, Maeda getting a goal. And I guess we'll we'll touch on St. Mirren because they did play a very interesting style of football. And St. Mirren have been the team that everybody have been sort of following in terms of the way they were setting up against Celtic. And they changed their style ever so slightly in this game. So we'll touch on that uh, later on in the podcast. But I guess early thoughts on this performance in this win, James? Yeah, I, I think it was a tale of uh, the first 70 minutes and then uh, when the penalty occurred and the, um, the man was sent off, then it was, um, you know, floodgates open, which you would expect. I mean, I, the, the pattern, as we've talked about over and over again, is, um, you know, the, the inability for uh, most domestic teams to be able to hang in for more than an hour, maybe 70 minutes, and as Alan has documented and and uh, smartly talked about regularly is how, how much the, the extra subs benefit us. Um, so you combine that with them losing a man <laughs> and it's a recipe for, for uh, some, some serious damage to get done. And, and we've, we've been on a good kind of run of form uh, relative to finishing as well. So we've, we've been kind of overperforming a little bit uh, since the world cup. Um, so when you combine all those factors, I think it, it was, um, uh, a, a, a good last half hour, let's say, and uh, but it it was a bit of a struggle before that, I think, and that this goes back to the broader conversation about, you know, some of the trends that have emerged um, in the the copycat uh, area of, of people all kind of within a, a range, and you you know, I'm sure Alan will talk about um, some of the tweaks that they've made, but uh, generally speaking, a lot of the opposition are falling into the same neighborhood, shall we say. Uh, as far as how they're going about addressing us. And, um, you know, I can see why, because it's, it's, there are some signs of, of uh, at least improved periods uh, at points. Um, mm. and, and again, I think for the first hour in particular, St. Mirren uh, put that on display again. 
Yeah. I, Celtic had to have, have had to adjust a couple of times this season because of injuries. They have to do that again in this game with uh, Maeda moving into the centre for a short period when Kyogo went off injured. And I thought Maeda was playing quite well up until that point and continued that fine form on again when he went into the middle. But um, my f- only thoughts I will give on VAR in this podcast is that it took over four minutes to award a penalty in which there were two clear and obvious handballs. And it's just like, how in under God's name does it take that long? And I've, I've gone through the period of mourning for football through VAR with English football over the last two years. And it was taking ages to get to these decisions. And they finally sped it up. But to go through that again in the second time now at Scotland, it's just an incredibly frustrating experience as a fan. Um, and Alan, I know you've spoken about VAR a couple of times. This momentum that is wasted with this amount of time coming to these decisions doesn't favour Celtic in any way, shape or form. I know look, the outcome of this was a penalty and a red card, so you can't really complain all that much. But it's more the goals. I know every goal is checked by VAR, but it seems to take longer to check Celtics than to check any other goal. So it's just the delays in the games aren't ideal in any way for Celtic. So, so if you've noticed that, and uh, it must be remarkable that the fact. And listen, I don't watch. I mean, you know, watch the highlights of <clears throat> some of the other SPFL games, but unless you watch the game live, you cannot tell what the gap is between when the goal scored and when the final restart is given by the referee. I.e., all the bar checks are over. And what I do know is, in a tiny sample, um, that you know, with every Celtic goal. And we're talking going about the last sort of three three matches. That's quite a lot of goals actually, but nine or eleven, eleven or twelve goals, what have you. There is on average, you know, well over a minute of scrutiny of every goal Celtic have scored before a restart. And with each of the, I think there's only been two opposition goals, and both of them, one was thirty seconds, and one penalty. It took it took it only took a minute for that penalty. Now I don't know, you know, I welcome if somebody wants to take on a bit of analysis to, you know, to see. If in other games that's that's the case, I know, for example, because a Hearts fan told me who was there said that when they played at home to the Rangers, that the three goals, each of the you know the whistle was ready to go. Basically, the bar check was over by the time the players lined up to restart the game. Once this, you know, so celebrations were done, everybody lined up, bang, we're off. Whereas with Celtic, it's taking um, you know you you line up, you have a celebration, you line up, and then you wait. And this is for every single goal. Every single goal Celtic mm-hmm. scored. So you, you've noticed it. I think it's remarkable. Um, it's something. If, as I say, I, I don't. I'd like, like, if somebody wants to, you know, tell me what's happening at other grounds, that would be fantastic. Because we you know we need to probably need a proper sample. But um, you know, so that's that's that. Um, <laughs> um, it does feel a little bit like you know we're having our, our noses rubbed in it um, a little bit. So you know, that's that's. But you know, it's no surprise. This isn't a mystery. We know that we understand. You know organizational cultures etc as we've talked about many times so there's, there's no point in trying to sort of invent conspiracies or other Machiavellian motives it's very simple it's a cultural issue and, and that's what it is um, but in terms of the game itself uh, the interesting sort of thoughts that occurred to me as James was speaking there and I think you're even your, your opening gambit there and about you know was it a bit of a struggle was it really about the last 70 minutes, should we be concerned? I'm, I'm just thinking in my head, really, and, it's, and this is more of a question than a statement, really, is, you know, does it matter when you rack up your XG? Does it matter if, if, you're, if you're dominant after 70 minutes or 65 minutes and the first 70 are, are kind of quite level? And because with, with Celtic, again, you can see it's a trend. It's a trend that your games can be reasonably tight. And, you know, this was a very team that came with, I thought, quite a novel defensive setup. In terms of, you know, I don't, I don't recall the last team that pressed Celtic quite as aggressively and quite as high. Uh, I thought the, the the ploy that they had to for t- their their Taylor, uh, R. Richard Richard Taylor maybe, uh, to essentially manmark Moy by coming out of the back three to manmark him was I thought was interesting, and I think that did rattle Moy a little bit. He was he was doing well to get a foothold in the game. I thought Gogic had a, did a superb job to smother Callum McGregor. Uh, in fact, almost completely nullified him at the game. In fact, he almost he had a p- negative packing score at one point. That's how bad it was for him. You know, he was being forced, turnovers were being forced by Gogic. But the problem that St. Mirren had, of course, was that they actually forced quite a lot of turnovers from Celtic and they actually restricted some of the better players getting on the ball 
But of course, once they got the ball, they were just awful with it. You know, they just couldn't do anything with it. But you know, and this is where James will rightly you know conclude that when if the same happens in Europe, they will probably get punished a lot, a lot more severely. But it's one to ponder: is 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 does it really matter? <laughs> does it really matter that you know? Because I I had it around about four and a half xg by the end of the game. Does it matter that most of that was racked up after seventy minutes? I'm not sure. I think because as I say, when you see, when you look at the trends, it's pretty consistent. That, that, that you know, we get there at the end. I mean, Celtic have got you know the. Should celebrate. Um, we should celebrate passing the hundred goal uh, mark for the season. Um, one hundred and two goals now uh, off of an XG which I've got is ninety nine point two eight. So I think we're doing pretty well. I think that's pretty sort of mm-hmm. par for the course, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- that's the thing about the analysis of of Celtic, and it, it's so hard at times to analyze games of Celtic win. 6-0 and score three goals in the final 75 minutes because you have to look at what happened before that. But at the end of the day, they still won 5-1 and it was still a comfortable victory and they were never really close to having that victory snapped away from them at any point in this game. They were still always in control. And, yeah. you know, whether it was whether it finished 2-1 or 5-1, Celtic were still the dominant team in this in this game. And that's sort of the difficulty of analysing their games um, against opponents like St. Mirren, it's different when it comes to the Champions League games when it's much closer. Um, but against opponents like St. Mirren and the lower level teams, it, is, it does become harder to analyse it because it becomes nitpicking. I mean, how can you look at a 5-1 game that Celtic have won? Uh, you know, That's what we're here for. 12, 12, <laughs> 12 on the trot unbeaten now since the World Cup. And then, and, and then turn around and be like, this is what went wrong against St. Mirren. It's really, really difficult to do that. But uh, we're going to look at the overall structure of the game um, and the way that St. Mirren played against us, because there were some interesting comments from Jack Amakis since we last spoke on this podcast. And that was uh, in a press conference at Atalanta where, that he's joined in America, Atlanta, not Atalanta in the Syria. And <laughs> um, so he said that at Celtic, they play a completely different style to the competition in the SPFL. He said the competition is not very good. Uh, the two clubs and then they, all the others try to defend most opponents were trying to block on their box. We were keeping possession, trying to create space and score in a different way. I think the MLS is a bit more competitive. Now, of course, that caused an absolute minefield of comments and uh, replies and quote tweets on Twitter and things like that. But ultimately, what Jack Marcus is saying is true there because since St. Mirren have beaten Celtic, the way that teams have been playing against them has been a low block, trying to minimize the space in the center, pushing Celtic wide and force them into crosses that were being headed or not headed away by their defenders. That wasn't successful. But St. Mern changed it a little bit here. They went for a high press. They put pressure on Celtic's midfield. And it was quite successful to an extent, James. Like it was, it was a brave way for St. Mern to win. And somebody might look at the scoreline and say, oh, well, they, they lost 5-1. But... Again, like I said at the start, 5-1 is a flattering scoreline for Celtic. St. Marin were in this game, and they were competitive. And if they were a little bit fitter, and if they had more power off the bench, then they may have taken something from Celtic here. So it's maybe maybe it's not something that St. Marin can do, but maybe that's something that Aberdeen could look at, or Hibs could look at, or Hearts could look at is, okay, if we're a little bit braver here, we have the depth. We could go to toe-to-toe to an extent with these teams. The issue, I would say, and it, this goes back to, um, you know, opposing managers and, and teams and how sophisticated they are in formulating their their strategy and tactics. And to, to his credit, Robinson seems to have, at least in this small sample size, um, done a reasonably good job. And, and I, I don't know how much of this was premeditated going into the game um, and how much of it was luck because he ended up facing a midfield of Turnbull, Moy, and McGregor, meaning that if I was going to, um, you know, the, the old styles make fights analogy, uh, you know, if I was going to be an, a St. Mirren manager and decide that I was going to high press and be really aggressive on the front foot in that regard, that's the midfield I'd want to face. <laughs> so, um, James, sorry, that was the same midfield that we lost 2-0. Yep. Yeah, yeah so it was, exactly. It was, it, was, it was quite ballsy, I think, <laughs> to pick it. I, I agreed. And, and um, to, to the extent where, you know, this is what I was saying, uh, and to your point, and, you know, how much can you extrapolate? And Alan's points are, you know, uh, certainly valid on game state and timing and all that stuff. Um, the thing that 
you know, I always, cause I am, you know, a uh, 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 world-class nitpicker in these things is, you know, they look like the more athletic midfield for large stretches of that uh, 70 minute period. And given the gap in resources, that is an alarming thing, right? Th- these were not guys that are, you know, uh, we brought up off of the, the B team or that this was a cup game in the sense that, you know, we were just kind of playing depth guys. Um, th- these guys are one injury away from, you know, being, or, or two injuries away from being the midfield. Um, so, you know, that, that, that was the, the potentially alarming part is that, because again, th- th- let's say Hatate pulls a hamstring and, you know, we go into this cup final, uh, in, in a little bit of time, um, you know, R- Rangers are going to have a more athletic midfield than St. Mirren, regardless of whatever composition they go with. Um, I mean, they'd really have to go Neanderthal to not do, you know, they'd have to go like Arfield, Lundstrom, and uh, I don't know, pick one other one. Jack. <laughs> uh, Jack. Yeah, they, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> they'd have to go those three for me to be like, oh, well, you know, maybe the St. Mirren one would be pretty close. But if they went with like a Tillman, Raskin, Camara, I'd be like, oh, you know, that's a different ball of wax. Um, so, I, I don't think we're going to see this kind of mix from us very regularly, or hopefully not. Um, and Robinson happened to have tactics that, for the most part, I think capitalized, particularly given some of the vulnerabilities we have. And we've talked about, you know, now with um, Johnston as kind of the right back and and you still have the, the Starfelt um, experience <laughs> and not being all that press resistant, Hart not being press resistant. You know, so you're talking about three of the back five there that you're, you know, you're not getting a lot of dynamism as far as uh, breaking the press, a high press. Uh, and when you mix that with a midfield that isn't all that dynamic either athletically, um, you know, that that was what it looked like to me. And again, to Robin, if you're going to allocate mm-hmm. some some credit to Robinson's credit, I mean, the way he set up certainly um took advantage of that at least for a stretch but again yeah, this is why i even tweeted it was like or i forget if it was a dm with somebody it's like th- this is going to implode on them because you know they just can't keep it up i mean the physical yeah, demand around a lot. yeah i mean it, it was a matter of when not if it, it imploded on them um so that's the you know the the challenge that they have well that was one of the points that i made in the last podcast was that to play against Celtic or to have success against Celtic, I think you need to be able to match them physically more than anything else. Just fitness-wise, you need to be able to go toe-to-toe to Celtic, with Celtic. And if St. Mirren were physically capable of doing that and had depth to the extent that Celtic have um, in, off the bench, then they may have got something, but they didn't. And that comes with finances and that comes with recruitment and things like that as well. So that's where Celtic do have an advantage. Um, and another thing that was interesting was that I remember last year when you raised some um, concerns about Turnbull in the midfield and his physicality and his athleticism, James, you received quite a bit of stick because Turnbull was playing very well at that point. But I think if you look at the midfield three at the weekend, who was the, what's, what's the, what's the point from the midfield that you're looking at? as the issue because Aaron Moy was playing very well up until this point. Cal McGregor has been, you know, really consistent as always in the midfield. And when you play Hatati beside Moy and McGregor, it's quite fine. It's quite all right. Aaron Moy has loads of freedom. But when you play Turnbull and Moy, there's no pace other than Cal McGregor and Cal McGregor's not that quick. Um, and there's very little ability on the half turn as well to get the ball forward. So it's almost like, as you mentioned a couple of years ago under uh, Francis Lennon, it's a toxic combination in midfield. You know, it's it's three well, midfielders it, that are e- equally quite good, but in that three combination, it just doesn't work. It's not athletic enough. Yeah, and again, th- this goes back to um, the styles make fights. And, you know, that that is a reasonable midfield against a bunkered, opponent who's not going to really be able to get out i mean if it's they're just going to absorb pressure and we're basically going to dominate possession in the final third and just look to break down you know uh, 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 two blocks of of five uh effectively then um 
theoretically I could see, because again, you know, Turnbull, one of the advantages he does have is that he's pretty good at shooting from distance, uh, which again has been something that's been on the uptick since teams have kind of been adopting this, um, this more bunkered approach, um, particularly since the World Cup. And um, so he offers that. I, I think that's one of his upsides. Moy's pretty good at picking apart, um, you know, a, a defense and making some of those incisive passes, that type of thing. So again, if I was going to, um, you know, make an argument as to why you would pick that midfield, it would, I would think it would be because of facing a bunkered side again, to Robinson's credit, that's not how he played. Um, and that, pushed us a little bit i think into some of the issues that we had and to alan's point i mean mm. thank they were absolutely atrocious on the ball i mean <laughs> you know a team with any kind of pulse <laughs> could have created some chances against us uh with the amount of turnovers that we had and and some of the issues that we hadn't built up and and progressing the ball through midfield so, so just, um just so just yeah. to touch on that turnover point so you'll see my new toy for this season is the packing turnover stat which i'm finding is incredibly incredibly insightful so um now celtic obviously because they have so much of the ball they tend to have more turnovers in the opposition but on the other hand another deeper piece i'm gonna to have to do is you know how often does celtic turn the ball back over as soon as they lose it i think that's going to be quite high as well but anyway coming back to this game in the first half turnbull uh, had five of these turnovers and when i say these turnovers i mean he loses the ball in a situation where some Celtic players are now out of the game and therefore, you know, you're breaking against a, a sort of disorganised, possibly disorganised defence, uh, potentially. Um, five, and five is a high number, right? So um, and between the three of them, McGregor, Moyne and, Turno, and Turnbull, or Turnbull's going to call them Turnover Bowl. <laughs> Turnover Bowl. <laughs> That's a new, new nickname for Turnbull. Turnover Bowl. Um, it, was, it, was, it was four turnovers that they uh, were on the positive side and 11 against between the three of them. Now, McGregor, you know, was, as I say, I think quite effectively shackled by Gogic, but I think we... We know with McGregor that when when it really matters, he finds a way. And, you know, maybe in a game where other people are taking some of the heavy lifting, he can kind of not coast through games. That wouldn't be fair to him. But he kind of, the fact that he's not dominating the game like he often does isn't so much of an issue. And I think this was one of those games. Moy, Moy was particularly ineffective in the first half, but he found a way to be useful. And he actually got on the ball in high positions uh, probably more than anyone else, actually, and especially in the second half. And so he he definitely kind of redeemed himself in that regard. But Turnbull, yeah, Turnbull uh, had a really uh, a really poor uh, game, and I see partly because of these turnovers. I see McGregor ended up with a negative packing score. And I will tell you that the highest packing score on Celtic side was Alistair Johnson at two hundred and eighteen. A negative packing score is really bad, right? <laughs> That's like awful. And uh, and Turnbull's was only was only nineteen. And Moyes was 94, so Moyes was, Moyes was actually the, the kind of fourth best, and he was the best, actually, in terms of receiving the ball in that final third. So I think Moyes found a way to be useful. I think McGregor's got plenty of credit at the bank, but the one I'd be worried about is Turnbull because he, he did look slow. He looked slow mm. of thought, and he looked slow of movement, and he was getting caught on the ball an awful lot. And when it's in, in concert with Moyes, who isn't who's who although he isn't particularly athletic is incredibly intelligent and finds a way to be useful because he's such a ex good experienced player it, as James rightly said I wouldn't I wouldn't fancy that against a Leipzig for example it'd be it'd be horrendous um but yeah, yeah. sorry go on. no I was just gonna say like it, it this could come down to a really intangible thing and I'm you know I'm <clears> just sort of coming up with the idea in my own head it may not be anywhere close to the truth but I think if you look at when Turnbull has thrived in Celtic teams it's has or, or even in his career it's it's when he's the main man in midfield and I think when you look at how far he's fallen in the pecking order at Celtic in terms of the depth chart you'd have probably Moy ahead of him O'Reilly Hatate, potentially Haksabanovic if he does play him in the the midfield rather than in the on the wing and then you have Turnbull Whereas about two years ago, Turnbull was the white knight that was saving Celtic's midfield. He was the young guy that was up and coming and going to be Celtic's uh, main man like he was previously uh, before he came to Celtic, before his injury. Um, and maybe that's playing into it, that he's he's not the main man anymore. He's not the one that people are relying on. It's not get the ball to Turnbull and hope he can score from 25 yards out into the top corner. It's 
more about the team now than about one player. And, and some players don't tend to thrive in those team-based situations. Some players, like Bruno Fernandes, for example, at United, like some some of them want to be the main man and want that responsibility and want the ball all the time. And when it's bypassing them because of the system, you know that can bypass them as well. Yeah, I mean that that may be an issue, like, like with Jakimakis, where you know Jakimakis was actually performing a very useful role, and the role that he was performing is coming on in the last thirty minutes and absolutely smashing the stats out out the, out the, out the park against tired opposition, and that's a great that's a great role. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think if you're a twenty eight year old, you know, hitherto journeyman striker, you know, I think that's not a bad. That's not a bad place to be, assuming all the things are equal in terms of, you know, wages and so forth. There's a lot of things to consider, obviously. And I think with Turnbull, I think you're right, and I think it's going to be interesting. I can't comment on his own sort of situation as regards what his sort of hopes and desires are. But at the moment, it looks like he's another one that's actually better coming off the bench against tired, tired teams. He's actually, again, generated a lot of great stats off the back of coming on for the last 30 minutes, as as was happened on, on Saturday, O'Reilly, Hatati all did did a, did a nice bit of stat padding. You know, I, you know I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to dismiss this. I think it's an incredibly important thing to have because it turns one 2 no games into four five no games. And it turns tight matches into, into relatively straightforward matches. But you've got to be happy to play that role. Uh, mm-hmm. and it was because, you know, this was one of the first times he started for a while and it didn't go well. I'll be honest with you, it didn't go well. And I can't imagine when it comes to, you know, the next big game or even home to Aberdeen, which is a pretty big game, that, you know, it'll be Turnbull and, and Moy again. I think it'll probably be either O'Reilly and Moy or Hatati and Moy because I don't think Moy's done anything to deserve to get dropped. Mm-hmm. So outside of the midfield, there was also the need for a couple of substitutions up front. Kyogo came off injured. He had a scan on his shoulder a couple of days ago. I think it looked like a similar injury, almost a, a re-hurting of the previous injury. So we'll wait and see if he is going to be fit for this weekend and maybe the final, we're not sure, but we'll, we'll wait and see on that one. But Abada came off the bench. Haksabanovic came off the bench as well in this game, as did, um, who else was their substitute? Uh, up front, Rio Tate and Matt O'Reilly. So there's a couple of changes like in, in the forward line, but mainly Maeda came into the centre initially when Kyogo went off. That's where he got his goal from. Um, but, oh, I'm, I'm interested. He, he got his first goal, and if Kyogo's out injured, he potentially might be the guy who comes in to replace him. But it seemed like he was coming in as a centre forward here, uh, James, but he's played a good bit on the wing here for Celtic. So I'm wondering, is he the GG box playing center forward that we all pegged him to be initially? Yeah, I think that'll be, as we mentioned after his first appearance, I think it'll be interesting to see how that evolves um, because his natural kind of flow seems to be more of a, you know, we, we more of a traditional striker, I mean, coming out wide and dropping deep a little bit, getting involved in build up, that kind of thing. Um, and again, he seems to be capable, at, at least at a functional level, of doing those things. Um, where again, you know, when Maeda went into that role, he kind of played the, you know, what we've come to know as the Ange striker role uh, at Celtic, which is you know very very direct and um, relatively limited in, in involvement. Um, so I don't know. It'd be it'll be interesting. I if I had to guess, if if Kyogo um, can't start, my guess is he would go with Maeda then. Because again, it comes back to this issue of do you, you know, does Abada get a start uh, versus O, and who's kind of more ready to go? Um, and I, I think my hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It has shown that he's more than capable in that striker role in this system, uh, particularly at this level. Um, so my, my guess is he'd probably go with, with that iteration. Um, but I don't think it would be an issue if, if it was, oh, um, I, we're, we're going to be at home on the weekend. And I, I suspect given what has occurred at Aberdeen this uh, season, that they're probably not going to come out and bunker <laughs> is, is going to be my guess, given the complete mess that was there, um, preceding Goodwin's departure. Uh, again, maybe, maybe I'm wrong there, but who knows, but, um, I think they'll come out and play, play, you know, a little bit more aggressively and, that should probably suit us. I, regardless of who's at striker, I think we should be in pretty good shape for the weekend. I guess this comes down to a stylistic thing here, Alan, because, I mean, Celtic have no shortage of players up front. So you could play Maeda through the center with Jota and Haksabanovic, or you could play Jota on the left with James Forrest on the right with Maeda through the middle, or you could, you know, there's there's an endless number of possibilities here, especially with O as well. And do you suspect it's going to be uh, O's place to lose since he got a goal off the uh, off the bench here in this game, or do you th- suspect it's going to be um, a more traditional approach from more experienced players in the system? Yeah, I mean, I, I keep coming back to I don't think I'm just I'm just difficult to read really. Um, I'm not being I'm not being sort of smart when I say that. I just don't think I genuinely just don't think it's difficult to read. I don't think he tries to be. So you know, back to Jackamakis. Clearly, he's burnt bridges, let's say, because you know you can tell from the, the comments that the, the gaffer made, um, and that might explain why he's he's talking absolute sense. But you choose your moments, don't you? And it probably wasn't the time to to mouth off in that regard. But coming back to O, it looks to me like he's somebody who's going to get time to bed in. He's not going to be under pressure, and he's certainly not going to get flung into a cup final. Uh, Maeda is perfectly capable of playing striker. The way that Maeda's playing at the moment, in terms of confidence, form, um, responsibility that he's taking, um, is, which has just gone up enormously since the World Cup. Um, you know, is, he's not taking safe options anymore. He's taking people on. He's making more aggressive runs. He's trying to hurt teams. He's trying more risky things on the ball. I think, you know, he'd be perfectly comfortable with Maida playing the strike, and I think that, that would be the way that we would go. Um, and then probably it would be Abada on the right. Because, again, although Abada... I was just reflecting on Abado when, when before we started the show that he's almost he's, he's almost a player that was in, that was invented to to create good stats rather than to look good on the pitch because <laughs> he just creates the most incredible stats he really does and even again on on um, on the weekend you know he he had the, the, the third sort of highest packing score mainly because of his, his ability to get on the ball and, and and the fact that when he gets the ball. He can sometimes do pretty dumb things with it or really sort of ineffective things with it. But he also does a lot of other stuff as well. And it's 
it's just he, he was almost like born to to generate good numbers rather than look like a good footballer. It's really weird. So um, if, I, if I if I dare suggest, he's almost the anti Hatati. He's almost the opposite of Hatati. He looks brilliant and does amazing things, but doesn't actually create great stats, as, as I've said before. So um, yeah. So but I think so. I, I would I, I think at some point Hatati's uh, sorry Abada's going to be you know given given that responsibility. I think he does generate a lot of chances. Uh, he does get into great positions. I did, I did something today. You know, behind the two strikers, if you want the two players who create the, the highest expected goals per shot, then it'd be Maida and Abada. So you know, if you want goals, <laughs> then I would play those two. And I'd play, you know, I think, and play Jota and hope that he, he sort of finds his mojo a little bit because <laughs> he's been a bit subdued, isn't he? But uh, yeah, so, but, but, but no, always, always, always not going to be thrown in, in my opinion. He's going to, we're, we're going to take it easy and steady with him for sure. The extraordinary thing about this Celtic team and maybe last season in particular is the ability to almost forget about the players that are on the bench because of how well the starters are playing because the amount of times that you are, are sitting watching and Celtic are dominating the game and then somebody gets injured and for, for three or four weeks somebody else has to fill in, say, say Abada for example, when they were on that extraordinary run and he was he scored those goals against Rangers. Like Abada was Celtic's main player, and then all of a sudden, four weeks down the line, you forget that Abada even plays for Celtic because he hasn't really made an appearance bar fifteen minutes off the bench because somebody else is stepping into that shoe. So there's an extraordinary level of competition for places at Celtic, and to the point of this is the second iteration of Ange's team, the third iteration, maybe even stronger. So. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where how the group dynamic uh, sort of deals with that, and the the Jackamaka stuff is certainly ties into that. You know how Ange is going to deal with <laughs> dressing room discontent. It's well, you're gone if you're not happy. You're gone. Get out, and we'll get, bring in someone else. So, um, it's going to be very interesting to see how many players leave Celtic in the next five years and how many come in, because I guess that'll show you. Um, the way it's going to be dealt with. Uh, you mentioned the World Cup there, Alan, uh, and Maeda's form. James, you wanted to bring up Celtic's form in particular since the World Cup. And just so people know, since the World Cup, 12 games Celtic have won. They've drawn one game that was against Rangers. They've scored 40 goals and they've conceded seven. Um, so I would say that's pretty good form. It is. Um, what's interesting is that... Um, what what has shifted on the margins is um, that chance creation. And again, this this goes back to this adoption. It seems like of more um, specific tactics um, in the, the majority. I think out of those twelve games, nine were kind of in a back five hybrid of five three two ish, maybe five four one, you know, something like that. Um, and then you know, Hibs, Rangers, and um, was it Morton? I think Morton didn't play that way. Um, so, but outside of that, pretty much everyone else is again in the neighborhood of, of this kind of, you know, St. Mirren inspired um, copycatism that, that Goodwin kind of started <laughs> in saying it um, late last year. And um, since that has happened, our chance creation is down quite a bit. Um, and again, these are all on the margin, right? So we're still talking about total domination. Um, but uh, you know, for example, the, the, I, I get the stats bomb data for, for league games only, but in, in those 10 league games, um, we've kind of come back to earth in that sample. I mean, if you look back in the last five seasons over a comparable period of the season, uh, you know, kind of 10 games, which is almost a full round in the league, at least one game in a Derby, um, going back to that 18, 19 season, we're kind of back to normal, whereas the Ange era up until this post-World Cup period had been, we've talked about it over and over, how just kind of crazy good um, the chance creation has been. And you also see it, though, in the, the opposition, they're almost creating nothing, right? So the, the XG conceded from open play is down to 0.3 on average in those games. That, that is almost nothing. Uh, so teams are, you know, yes, they're making it on the margin harder for us. Um, 
it looks like and and even like xg per shot is is down back to what you know we talked about all these kind of really good central um chances that we've been creating in the Ange ball era so to speak again it's 10 games you know the only reason why i'm, I'm i brought it up is because it's not like this is coming out of nowhere there there seems to be a pattern developing here it might change but um that we you know are kind of xg per shots back down to point one on average which we had been up in the kind of point one two point one three which again if you benchmark kind of cross leagues and dominant teams that's where you're getting into like the you know the the really dominant sides like Bayern Munich and the Bundesliga that's how they dominate and create chances in that that environment so we'd kind of really pushed up into that upper echelon and again for this 10 game sample we're kind of back to or still dominant so it's, this introduces an interesting question which is if teams are going to continue to play this way you can't lose very often at all if teams aren't even really uh you know, attacking your goal and, and getting such low chance creation themselves. Um, but it does introduce the risks of more kind of nil-nil, I'd like to carve my eyeballs out kind of games where <laughs> you have a bad day of finishing and, and or a keeper in the the opposition that, um, you know, has a really good day in, in, in shot stopping. Um, so I, I just wanted to bring that up because it, 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 it's, it's an interesting thing because – it's not that we're not playing well or that um, our performance levels have really slid. It's more so the composition of it has shifted based off of how negative our opponents have become. And, and there is some effectiveness that looks like it's starting to emerge there. Um, but it's coming at a huge cost to them, which is they're just not going to score hardly at all um, playing this way. Alan, do you want to come in on that? Yeah, I don't want to. So I don't want this to turn into a stats bomb data versus my data, because you know stats bombs XG model in particular is far more sophisticated uh, than mine. What I bring to the table, I suppose, is a consistency of looking back at trends over numbers of years using the same model. So I deliberately not changing the model to a more sophisticated one because then you'd lose all of the you know the ability to then compare it apples with apples previous years but what i see and again this is interesting this is this is not criticism of james this is a this is probably a more of an interesting insight for people who perhaps don't dig into it as deeply as we do that there are many data vendors out there and actually you're not always going to get the same answer um, and that's quite interesting and, and there's a lot of reasons for that as, as a as a sort of professional data person the biggest, if, you, if you're interested, maybe I'm going down a rabbit hole you don't want to go down, but a lot of it's just to do with um, definition. How do, how do you define what something is? And then, it, you know, definition then is in the eye of the beholder. So who's capturing the data and on what basis are they capturing it? And is it the same person capturing it? So that's again, it's at least what you get with me. I'm not saying my data is better in the sense that I use up-to-date models and high-end analytics, but what you do get is the same pair of eyes and the same brain and the same model, so at least there's a consistency of interpretation there. But with other, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying that makes me better. I'm just saying that's just the way it is, right? Whereas with you know commercial firms, you're going to get an army of people in a data center somewhere, you know, mass producing data, and and there's now as a you know, like, like with FopMob, you know, there's a demand there to get the data out there as soon as the game, well, in fact, during the game, right? And and so and then they change their XG quite quite significantly after the game. There must be a little bit of quality control. So you know, I I've, I often uh, sorry I'm going down a rabbit hole here. I'll shut up. But I I often I often mm -hmm. whenever we watch games and just flash up something really simple like completed passes for each teams, and you'll be surprised how way out that is. Because and I say that because I sit there literally counting them one by one. That's how sad I am. So anyway, all that being said, right, my my observation would be that since in the period that you mentioned and uh, sort of post-World Cup, you know, we scored 40 goals off of 36 XG. Our average XG per shot pre-World Cup was about 0.159, and now it's 0.153. So I don't see a huge change, frankly, I think. And now, my, my data also includes some of the Cup games, so maybe there's a bit padding there in Cup games, where James is only talking about league games. So again, context is important in terms of, what we're covering but uh, yeah I, I, and again this isn't a bashing anyone thing it's just it's just a uh, different data different context 
Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess the, the, one of the things that we try to look at here is over a long period of time, if we are seeing a trend emerge and I think it's marginal since the world cup, but I, I, I I'm not sure I'd be too concerned about um, small percentages over the grand scheme of things. If Celtic did still score 40 goals and concede seven, it's still not particularly affecting the team over a 10 game period. So I'd be surprised if it had much of a, an effect bar the odd result here or there throughout an entire season. Um yeah, I mean, you, know, we, we, you, know, you guys, as, as James, James and I are both kind of want to be nitpicky because we don't just want this podcast to be about sitting here every week saying how wonderful Celtic are. We want to sort of highlight areas, you know, of risk, highlight areas where perhaps performance is not not optimal, and we'll continue to challenge and to do that, whether people like it or not. Because I just we just think it makes a more interesting podcast. But I, I'm, I'm honestly not worried by anything per se. Uh, mm-hmm. Another another interesting observation is that the number of shots that Celtic take, just the, just the raw number of shots, doesn't change. Doesn't change much year on year. It's actually pretty static. What has changed under Postecoglou is the quality of the shots. Because and you think about it, think about a typical Kyogo chance. It's kind of inside the six yard box, central to the goal, with it, and, and the ball's coming in low. Right? Instinctively, you know that's a better quality chance than, than a high ball flashing across the, the you know the, the, the sort of the height of a six foot five striker type of thing. So, so I think Celtic are, are continuing to create better quality chances. But as you rightly said, Ender, these things change very over over a long sample of data. These things change very very by very small amounts uh, over, mm-hmm. over a period. You would have to drag me kicking and screaming back to the Ryan Christie shoot on site tactics of uh, the season prior to Neil and or prior to Ange Postecoglou. Dark dark period. <laughs> yeah, well, and again, as I mentioned, these are on the margins. So the the, the thing that isn't mm-hmm. on the margins, and Mal's points are important because, you know, so one of the things that um, that Statsbomb has started to to qualitatively adjust to their model is the velocity of shots. So they're not actually measuring, you know, they don't. It's not like uh, MLB baseball, where they have optical cameras measuring the speed of the baseball, that's coming. Some clubs are, I think, they're doing that in the EPL now. But, um, but you know, universally across their leagues, they're basically uh, the way I've been able to ascertain it. They're they're kind of qualitative. You know, was this a hard shot? Was this a regular shot? Or was this like, you know one of these little dinky shots that floated in? It was a simple save that in a traditional XG model would wouldn't differentiate between that. It wouldn't differentiate between a howitzer from 20 yards and one that gets accidentally hit off the shin that floats in at like half a mile per hour. Right. It's made so, in the face and goes in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so the, the differences here are not small on, on an overall basis, meaning that um, the XG per game in the first 15 league games was 2.47. Right. That that's again, that's nuts. That's like a, such a high level of, and and the average chance uh, was 0.13 in, in their model. And again, they even model like the height of crosses. So if the ball is at the at your height um, versus like you have to go up in your tippy toes or jump to get to the ball, that impacts the model as far as what the quality of the chance is, which again, intuitively, commonsensically makes sense. Um, so that's down to 1.91 per game. So that's, you know, that's about a 20% decline. Um Am I alarmed by that? No. But again, this is not coming out of nowhere because if you look at the composition of our chance creation, there's other metrics. So for example, they have a metric as far as number of clear shots. How many shots per game do you have where it's just a player with no defenders in between the the shooter and the keeper? Obviously the most high probability shot that you're going to take. That's down about the same amount, uh, about 20%. If you look at the number of shots from outside the box, which again, you're going to just by definition have more defenders and it's going to be an easier shot to save from an opposing keeper. That's up about 20%, right? Again, these are not an abstraction. Teams are defending us in a, in a certain way. So it would only make sense that this would start to happen. I'm simply pointing it out um, that there are, there is some statistical evidence that this is happening. Um, It makes sense relative to tactics having sort of been shifting um and, and and all what i'm not this is not a negative thing what i'm saying is teams are having to almost completely sacrifice their attacking capability in order to try and limit us this way 
and we're still performing at a level that was prop like peak Rogers in 1819, peak Lenin in, in 1920, right? That's how nuts we were domestically going into this stretch, right? So it, 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 it's a nuanced analysis of what's been happening. Um, will teams continue to do it? I don't know. Like it, it, I've said that that's kind of how I would do it if I was some of these teams because a nil-nil draw is a better result for them at Celtic Park than – you know, if they can swing that on a hot day from their keeper and a bad day for Celtic shooting, then, you know, having a go and getting absolutely annihilated, which is what's going to happen with the vast majority of the teams, how good we are under Postacoglu. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It's fair. And it's, but it comes, so, as you rightly say, it, it, comes with, it comes with a lot of trade-off. So absolutely. It, was, it comes with a huge trade-off in terms of the opposition effectiveness. I think that's fair. Yeah, it might have cost Jim Goodwin his job. <laughs> ultimately in the grand scheme of things. I mean, that was the trigger that kind of started the cascade of, yeah. of that implosion. Well, I mean, he actually came the closest to, 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 to pulling off. Making it work. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But he didn't. And he got sacked. It's, and, and it's not horseshoes, right? It doesn't count. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll preview this game in full next week because it's, it's happening uh, next week rather than this week. But uh, one question for you, Alan, just before we finish up. If Celtic score a goal while Rangers have a player down injured, are Celtic going to let them score a goal for free? Did he just go into the Matrix? Are you there, Alan? I think he did. Well, same to you, James, then. (laughs) You you know what? Um, I'm a big fan of sportsmanship. I thought what Bielsa did took... Uh, real, um, you could call it crazy, but I, you know, <laughs> honor amongst thieves, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I think that there's a lot to be said for for um, sportsmanship at, at at kind of an underlying level, and um, you know, context matters. Uh, I think what happened last weekend ultimately was something I like to see independent of who's participating. Um, but you know, when you get into heated environments and emotions take over, who knows? I mean, it, 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 it just, a guy being down injured is not the, to, to me, it's, you know, that would not be enough. I mean, there are rules to the game. Um, so I, I don't, I, I don't think it was that that happened over the past weekend, but yeah. It, it sure would make life interesting if something like that were to happen, though. Talk talk about throwing a, a cluster bomb into a, an already boiling cauldron. That would be uh, pr- pretty fascinating. Alan, I think uh, somebody from the Rangers fan forum was hacking into our systems after I asked that question of you. So, um, Sorry, I was I lost connection. There, so I didn't know what you asked, uh, and apologies. Well, I, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek. If Celtic score a goal... And Rangers have a player down injured. Are Celtic going to open up the gates and let Rangers score? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, it's all about standards to me. <laughs> Michal, the, flexibi- the flexibility of, of what standards actually mean in that place is just a wonder to behold. <laughs> Michal Beale, the yeah. absolute character of uh, sportsmanship. Now, to be fair, I, I thought it was the right thing to do, and I thought it was absolutely yeah. hilarious to see the reaction of Rangers fans yeah. saying that yeah. he should be sacked for letting it happen. <laughs> what uh, what is the sporting stuff. integrity? I've seen it now, and I want to. <laughs> I don't yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, not, not to mention the stuff that's going on in Man City. Uh, does that remind you of anything that's happened in the last odd years in uh, Scottish football? But we won't open up that kind of rooms tonight because we're 15 minutes into this podcast and we're just about to wrap up. So uh, any final points before we do wrap up for one more week, Aberdeen match this weekend and then League Cup final up next? Yeah, I just checked there. I didn't realise actually that Aberdeen have got the highest XG against of any team in the league, which yep. is quite remarkable. <laughs> so, so and, 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 <laughs> and their splits have been amazing. I mean, they have been so putrid away from Pitadri. I mean, it's just been at an epic level. So um, ho- hopefully that doesn't mean it's due for <laughs> a mean reversion, but um, yeah, they, they've been really, really bad 
Um, I mean, they, 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 is, is there anyone in the frame? I've not seen any. I've got you know out all day. I don't know, but I know there was some chatter about Chris Wilder, which I thought would have been fascinating. I mean, that that would be brilliant if he got Chris Wilder. I think it would be. It would just you know the whole the profile of the league would just kind of go up, and it would make Aberdeen quite a competitive team. I think. I yeah, don't any, I don't know if there's any substance to that at all. No yeah, idea. I I had heard the same rumor. That, um, oh, geez, and I apologize, I forget his name, but the the former um, CEO of Motherwell. They just hired him as their new yeah. kind of head. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, again, it, it's so Steve scary. Robinson then, wants it? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, they could do worse. Uh, you know, again, based off all these different managers, I think Robinson's been one of the better ones, but um, domestically anyway. But, yeah, I, I haven't heard anything other than just rumors. Yeah. Chris Wilder would actually be a really good appointment. We'll, we'll wait and see if that happens, but um, we'll get this match over and done with this weekend. And I think my connection was going a little bit there. So I think that's where we will, where we'll wrap for this week. Thanks to everyone who is commenting and keep the comments coming in the YouTube below. If you're not subscribed, do hit the subscribe button and like the video as well. Uh, it helps people with the algorithm and helps people see the videos as well. So if you leave a comment, subscribe and like the video on YouTube. And if you want to get the podcast, it's available in Spotify, iTunes, and every other podcast network as well that you want to get it in. Just search the Huddle Breakdown and it should come up. Alan, James, thanks very much again. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Okay, we shall chat to you next week. Good luck. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the game, and how you play it. It's all about control, and if you can take it. It's all about your death, and if you can play it. It's all about pain, and who's gonna make it? I am the game, you don't wanna play me I am control, no way you can shake me I am heavy debt, no way you can pay me I am the pain, and I know you can't take me Look over your shoulder, ready to run Like a Cleveland bitch from a smoking gun I am the game, and I make the rules So move on out, you can die like a fool Try to figure out what my mood's gonna be Come on over, sucker, why don't you ask me? Don't you forget there's a price you can pay Cause I am the game and I want to play
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 